This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for creating a blog, a website, a portfolio, or an online store. Create your own space today by visiting squarespace.com and use offer code TREK10 to save 10%. Plus, if you'd like to support our programming personally, visit trek.fm slash donate to get our alien badges and art prints featuring original illustration by Tobu Ushi. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. How we doing, Trip? Ready when you are. Prepare for war. Course laid in, sir. Request permission to get underway. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Star Trek Enterprise show. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me, as she is every week from Australia, that magical land down under, it is Kate Walsh. I see tonight that you are, in fact, Empress Kate Walsh. Would you like to tell me what's going on here? Well, this goes back to the days of me being on Decade, of course, where I was known as the Empress um, in, in comparison with Shervin Sebeggy being the King of England and Tom oh, being that's right. the, the Prince of Wales. So I was just Empress um, and, and that was enough for me. Um, of course, uh, we also have Empress Hoshi in the Mirror Universe of Enterprise and uh, she's a role model of mine. I've actually been looking at an Empress Hoshi outfit for the next Comic-Con. Oh, really? Okay, mm. that'll be interesting to see are you going to try to poison anyone with a drink while you're there are you going to try to stab anybody i don't know you're going to try to take over the con What's no i'm also not really following her lead of anything with a pulse to jump on it but no um i am having to work on my abs a little bit mind you for that outfit okay yeah all right well well you can be empress kate walsh tonight and uh, i'm going to be playing the role of cyrus ramsey Just don't go disappearing on me, Chris. <laughs> no, no, I'm still here. Don't worry, I'm still here. I, I, I don't. I really don't want to end up like Cyrus Ramsey because you know, no one really wants their molecules scattered like that. Not at all. It's um, it's not a fun way to go. It's really not. But you know, we are going to talk about. Hoshi tonight. We're going to talk about Linda Park, about Hoshi Sato, continuing our look at the characters on the show. So far, we've talked about Archer. We've talked about T'Pol. We had a, a lot to say about them because they were, of course, two of the most fleshed out characters on the show. But Kate, you know, like most Star Trek series, Enterprise, they built a great cast and they, but they fleshed out the characters very unevenly. So we got to know some of them really well. And then some of them we just really didn't get to know well enough. And Hoshi is one of those characters who, for me, really flew under the radar the first time that I went through the series. But as I've watched the series over and over, I've come to like her more. And now when I watch episodes here and there, just 
just to watch her character development, just to focus on Hoshi. You know, I, I see a lot that I like about her and I see a lot of potential in her that was missed, unfortunately, in the writing. I think to start talking about her today, though, a good starting point is something that you had mentioned to me that we were talking about is that Hoshi is essentially Enterprise's point of view character. That's right. Uh, Hoshi uh, really is a character that is a lot like you and I. You know, she she starts off as um, an educator uh, in languages. She's an expert in languages, and she's very much earthbound. I don't think she ever really imagined herself going into space. And so, the things that she confronts and her reactions to that are what we would expect of of, of you or I. And so, unlike Archer or Topol who have always planned or, you know, a future in space or who have that experience. Hoshi's someone that we can relate to uh, and really gives us that contrast between those more experienced characters and the earthbound people and how they're likely to react. Um, this is actually something that um, going back to episode two of Warp 5 when we spoke with Brandon that, that he pointed out as well. And I think they did a pretty good job of that, especially uh, in the first season. Um, of really making Hoshi that point of view character, and and as you said, she's not doesn't stand out as much as she could, and not for lack of of good stories. I think there's so much focus on on Archer and Trip and Topol in Enterprise. That's the thing. Um, that there, and as we were preparing for this show, and I thought about the episodes that that she's featured in, and there's a lot of really good character development there, and she does come a long way over the series. But it's just not obvious if you're just taking it on a surface level and just watching it casually. It's only when you go back and think about it and you really look at her journey, the things that she goes through and how much she matures, that you can see that it is actually a well-written character. Right. Yeah, that's the thing is that it's the stories that she's in are generally quite good, but there are so few of them. And that's mm. the the unfortunate thing. And you know, I went through and I rewatched a number of Hoshi episodes to prepare for this, to refresh my memory. Uh, I mean, I've actually just watched them like a month ago, probably. I mean, I just went through the whole series again, in fact. But it was nice to go back and really focus on those, just looking at Hoshi. Just mm. how are they using her character? How is she contributing to the crew in this situation? And, you know, even in stories like Vanishing Point, which on the one hand, can be seen as sort of a redux of two TNG episodes, Realm of Fear and the next phase. So you've got Barclay's transporter psychosis, mm. and then you've got when Geordi and Roe are out of phase with everyone. And, and it would be easy to feel like, okay, well, they're just retelling the story, but they actually do it in a way that fits her character and and picks up a lot of the the anxieties for maybe why she reacts the way that she does for space and it's actually a key story i think uh, helping her along to to gain mm. more courage uh, that's what archer tells her at the end of that story you know that you you stepped on that alien transporter pad even if it wasn't real you stepped on it you overcame that fear and it was a big moment for her and i i think they're they're really good stories, and certainly they could have used Toshi more in the series and given us some very interesting points. But let me ask you this, Kate. Uh, 
when Enterprise was getting ready to launch, actually right after it launched, Star Trek Communicator did interviews with all the actors and Kevin Dilmore, who everyone knows now is, you know, one of the great authors in the Star Trek literary universe today, was writing for Communicator at that time. And in his interview with Linda, she made some interesting points about Hoshi. Now, of course, remember, this is a new character at this point to her. And a lot of what she said was, you know, Linda got this role kind of right out of acting school. She was very young. So a lot of what she says that you can tell that it's the like the first big gig on television. She had been doing stage before that, and she's very excited about it. But there's also some stuff in there that she says about the character. And she said that Hoshi is a spitfire. She's so human, so impulsive. She doesn't like to be told what to do. She is strong in her sense of beliefs. She's someone who follows her gut reactions. And when she freaks out, she's not good at masking her feelings. She wears her emotions on her sleeve. If there's a single adjective to describe Hoshi, it's alive. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Now she, that's her view of Hoshi going in. Do you feel like that was captured in the character of Hoshi? I think certainly the fear, the anxiety, those reactions in terms of she being very open and displaying that as much as she wants to hide it, she can't. You know, I can relate to that. I can't relate so much to her speaking her mind and, you know, being very forthright in, in that sense, uh -huh. a strong side of her. I don't really see that in the show. I think, you know, that would have manifested as a lot more tension between perhaps her and Archer or T'Pol. And I didn't see that. If, if anything, I think about her relationship with T'Pol and she was quite submissive, lacking in confidence. I, I don't recall really seeing her step up and, and put herself out there regardless of the consequences. Right. Yeah, I kind of agree on that. The, the one case where maybe I see her speaking her mind in particular is in Voxola, where she and T'Pol are kind of butting heads on the bridge when she's trying to decipher this language. Mm -hmm. And and but but even there you see this self-doubt creeping mm -hmm. in to Hoshi. And I, I see that as very much coming from a place of yeah, self-doubt being on the defensive, um, being hostile because she's she's being confronted um, on the very things that she's already insecure about. And so she's reacting to that from a place of insecurity rather than confidence in her abilities or in her position. Mm -hmm. When you talk about maybe some insecurities, lack of confidence, uh, butting heads socially and such, what do you think, especially when you go back and you watch from the beginning of the series through knowing all the stuff that we learn in Exile, because Exile is the episode, the Beauty and the Beast episode, mm. where that's where we learn so much background about her childhood, about the fact, you know, what how she studied languages and she she was alone a lot at home and she didn't socialize with other kids so much. Mm. Uh, that comes along in the episode Exile, which is, of course, in the third season when they're looking for the Zindi weapon. But it's almost a case where it feels... What the alien is saying about her childhood, it fits very well with the character that we see, especially in fight or flight and moving through and, and even mm. what we see happening in, in Vanishing Point, which we just mentioned as well. But how how do you feel, if you can remember, watching Hoshi through the first time and then watching 
subsequent times after knowing all that background that we learn in Exile? Um, I mean, I love Exile as an episode. There's a real maturity in Hoshi in, in that episode. Um, and I like her relationship with Archer um, as well. But um, I'm not so sure that I can relate to the background as providing an explanation for her personal insecurities. Uh-huh. I, I perhaps wondered if, if a part of that, I mean, it, you put her on, on earth in her element doing uh, her teaching, working with, with languages in that safe environment. Yeah, I, I don't think she would have the same level of insecurity. I think that, that perhaps being in space amongst a bunch of people that were much more prepared for that than she was is, is perhaps a stronger source of her insecurity. She's a fish out of water. You know, she's dealing with people that, that have much more confidence and and um, are much more comfortable with the whole idea of being in space. And so perhaps she feels more alone and isolated in that, which perpetuates that feeling of insecurity. I don't relate it so much to her background. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I, I feel like um, some of the, the lack of socialization that she allegedly had as a child maybe makes her... I don't know. I, I I think you gain a lot from your interactions with others. I mm. think that it's always been my feeling about going to university, for example, that university is much less about what you learn, what you study, what degree you get. It's more about the interactions that you have with other people to help mm. you to become a more well-rounded person and become more secure and more sure of yourself and so if we only take her childhood experiences, I can kind of see where those might influence mm. her, especially the way she feels on the defensive around T'Pol a lot. Mm. And and even how she reacts in Vanishing Point, where she's afraid of being alone. I think she was alone a lot. Maybe she was accustomed to being alone, but as an adult, she doesn't want to continue to be alone. And so when she feels like people aren't noticing her anymore then she she overreacts. I mean, the interesting thing about Vanishing Point is that ultimately all of that was in her head over the course of like a second and a half. But mm. I think that the fact that all that's in her head and all those insecurities and all that self-doubt is in her head, even if she does maybe mask it sometimes, that situation allowed that to trigger that entire experience that she had. Yeah, it's such a great analogy that that element of the writing as well. That you know, in moments of self doubt, there are so many thoughts that can go through your head so quickly exactly. in so many circumstances and projections yeah. in such a short space of time. So it's I just love that the way that they do that in the writing, and it's it, it, it you can take it um, you know just on face value that, that there was this experience, but it's very metaphorical as well. Right, it's it quite is a wonderful yeah. episode, and the fact that we find out at the end of the episode that none of that was real—that it was actually mm. it was just in her head in that short time—maybe possibly redeems Hoshi's dad. That maybe he is smarter <laughs> than he appears to be in that conversation he has with Archer. What are you trying to tell me, Chris? She's not she's not here anymore. Where's she gone? <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean, family? <laughs> she's our family, not your family. <laughs> Actually, what, no, what I, I take everything about? back that I've said. Hoshi's dad explains all her problems. That's what that, we don't need to say anymore. I'm, 
if he's really like Problem he is solved. in her. Well, no, here's the other point is that the fact that all that happened in her head, maybe her dad isn't really like that. But to Hoshi, that's how she thinks of her dad, because that's how he was manifested <laughs> while she was in the matter stream. Very good point. <laughs> Maybe that's just her perception of this man, that exactly. she just can't get through to him. You know, she can't connect with her father and he just doesn't seem to understand her. <laughs> oh. The other thing I find really interesting with Hoshi is the nature of her relationships with the crew. She does have friendships with a few of them or, or start to forge different types of relationships. But they're very one-on-one. She doesn't tend to socialise in groups. When she does socialise, with be it with flocks, um, or uh, she's got an interesting relationship with Malcolm as well, I find, and, and uh, there are some parallels for me in those two characters and the way they're handled in the show. But particularly if you look at flocks, it's a deep friendship and it's, you know, she's not the extrovert that will go out and socialise in big groups. She's fairly cautious in approaching more than one person, um, you know, we see that in Vanishing Point. That I think there's um, a couple of characters you know, in the mess hall having food and she's really cautious about going up to them and asking to sit down even before she realises they're not noticing her. And, you know, there's definitely those introvert traits in Hoshi anyway, but it, I found it quite intriguing to follow her relationships with these characters and the bonds that she formed and how close she she can get to people but it just takes you know it takes her seems to take her quite a long time to trust people and to really let them in her relationship with to pole was quite um tumultuous at times there was a natural connection with flocks which is also interesting because to pole also connected with flocks so you can see those parallels in her character in, in lots yeah. of different elements. I do think she's very well written. I mentioned that she reminds me of Reed because in a similar way, as I continue to rewatch Enterprise, there is a fair amount of depth to the character, although it's not immediately obvious because there aren't heaps of episodes that just focus on them. But there are right. episodes that you wouldn't say are Reed or Hoshi episodes where you do learn more about these characters and they're quite interesting bits of information or, you know, to observe their behaviours. And so over time you do accumulate this knowledge, but it's not as in your face as with Topol or Trip or Archer. Right. When you talk about her and Flux and Topol and Flux, Topol and Flux obviously have the natural um, pairing as friends if you can be friends with T'Pol, I mean, she's a pretty cold friend right there, but, you know, T'Pol and Flux really couldn't be more different than one another in terms mm. of their personalities. However, as the two aliens on the ship, they, as we've talked about before, tend to hang out together, you know, they eat together and, and, and talk. And of course, Flux seeks some advice from T'Pol, oddly enough, when Crewman Cutler is, making a romantic overtures toward him. But in the case of Hoshi, who he also seeks advice from, I, I think that Hoshi, you know, she talks about having pen pals when she was growing up and it's these exotic names. I think one of them was in Australia, right? Or New Zealand. Which yeah. Exotic, exotic names. And, but, but, but the reason that is given that she 
wanted to study languages in the first place was to interact with people and to mm. learn more about other cultures. And so I think that's why she has a natural affinity towards Fox on the ship, because he's the one person on the ship who is different than everyone else and is approachable because she obviously butts heads with T'Pol. But with Phlox, he's someone who he himself enjoys talking to humans. I also think of the discussions, you know, as he's teaching her Denobulin, and it's a way to socially interact in a lighthearted way, yeah. but but in a structured way as well. So it provides a bit of a safety net in, in social interaction for someone that's awkward. Where I do think she differs from Phlox is that Phlox is very interested in cultures in a very passionate way, and he throws himself into that. I think for Hoshi that the study of languages once again is a guarded way to learn about people and to mm. engage with people once again in a very structured, safe way. So um, perhaps she, you know, flocks was was something for her to aspire to. It had a little bit of, of that that thing that she was missing to to let go a bit and to immerse oneself in culture. Let me ask you another question here, going back to what Linda said about Hoshi being a spitfire. Mm. You know, there's this story about her background in that Hoshi claims to have been kicked out of Starfleet after breaking her commanding officer's arm in a fight over a poker game. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if, if maybe she was thinking about Starbuck on Battlestar Galactica, but... <laughs> I find this story really hard to believe. Like, do you really think that this happened or was she just trying to look tough in the eyes of her new crewmates? I find it very difficult to believe that that happened. <laughs> I was just watching the um, episode of The Next Generation the other day and uh, you might be able to help me with the name. Um, uh, the one where Picard gets stabbed through the heart. Oh, Tapestry, yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's a Wonderful right. Life, Picard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that does sound much more like something Picard would do than Hoshi, you know, in their worlds apart. Yeah. A young Picard, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just can't I can't picture Hoshi getting in a I, I can't picture Hoshi playing poker to start no. with, and certainly not a poker game that would result in a fight. Maybe with a commanding um, officer. Empress Hoshi. Um, oh well yeah. I mean Empress Hoshi uh probably wouldn't just break his arm. She'd probably Break his arm, stab him, and then throw him in the antagonizer booth. And do a bobbit on him at the same time. <laughs> yeah. And then force him to drink some kind of poisoned drink. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Then she'd have Travis come and laugh at him. <laughs> Actually, on the subject of Travis, um, as I was thinking this week about Hoshi being a point of view character, I got to thinking about Travis being a space boomer and the like, and the perspective that the, the writers were trying to bring to the show in creating Travis and that being someone that had spent his entire life in space and so was at the other extreme to what Hoshi was as someone that probably never expected to go into space and wasn't really looking for that lifestyle. So they really um, at opposite ends of the spectrum, at the one end Hoshi, the, the innocent on the other end, you've got... Uh, Mayweather, who um, is the old hand. He knows where the sweet spot is. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm so disappointed we didn't see more of the sweet spot. Yeah. Riker knows where it is too, but it's not the same thing that 
Travis no, was that, showing that's a different spot altogether. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and once again, you know, we've spoken about this before, but it is a shame that Travis um, wasn't developed more. But uh, as the writers have said, I think in the Blu-ray for season one, once they put the boomer thing out there a few times, they didn't really know what to do with it anymore. Or, you know, they've been yeah. already in space and it was just old hat. Well, we're all in space now, so you're nothing special. Whereas Hoshi continued problem. to offer yeah. that point of view. Um, and, and even as she became more used to it, we, we could still follow her journey and then learn about what her motivations were and her background later on in the series. Yeah, yeah, very true. That's the problem when you set up a character for a really specific purpose like Travis was, as you said, the boomer. Because where are you going to go? But but with, with Hoshi, she takes us on a journey with her. Again, mm. an episode that I often talk about when I talk about Enterprise is fight or flight. And it really is specifically Hoshi's reaction to all those bodies that they find on the ship. And because she's already nervous about being there. And then you imagine yourself, you, know, you walk into that ship and in the dark and there are all these bodies strung up upside down and mm. it just reinforces everything that's already in your mind about how you you're not sure you want to be out here and to see her reaction to that and then to see how she grows through season two and season three and then where she is at the end of season three where she's being forced by the zindi you know they put these parasites in her head and how she and she's strong enough to fight against that and and, and you can't imagine the Hoshi of Broken Bow or Fight or Flight mm. fighting against something like that. So so she grows so much, even though we see very little of her, really. She grows so much through that. And she takes us from a point of wonder and, and fear and insecurity to a, a point of self-confidence and uh, a comfort with where we are. And, and there were two and yeah, levels for Travis wasn't able to do that because he was set up mm. to just represent, hey, here's a guy who was born in space. Travis is very much like if they had decided to set Enterprise in the 25th century. What more could they have done? They could have gone at faster speeds. They could have had uh, more slimline phases, you know, but, yeah. but there really wasn't much further they could go. And Travis Quicker is the character equivalent of that. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, it's kind of like that. Uh, well, we should talk about with Hoshi, of course, her language skills themselves. And specifically, when they were developing the character and some of the materials that they put out, they had an interesting point about Hoshi Sato. And that was that she was, it was said that she had surgery performed on her voice box to allow her to make all the different sounds that she would need to make in order to speak alien languages. And again, in one of those early issues of Communicator, when Enterprise was coming out in one of Kevin's articles that I was mentioning earlier, he actually, I guess, was writing off of some of that early material because he mm -hmm. mentions, Sato has learned to manipulate her vocal cords to emit ranges of alien sounds no other human has produced. And it sounds like a little bit of a toned back version because he's not mentioning mm. the actual surgery on the voice box. Because that's pretty hardcore. And that's hardcore, right? It, it makes me imagine, I don't know, it's very much, it's almost like a cheesy sci-fi thing to me, really, that we're going to mm. have something. And, and I know how that stuff comes up when you're conceptualizing a series or characters. 
Luckily, writers tend to tone that stuff down as they did with Hoshi. And I was thinking that thankfully, none of that made it to the screen because I think it would have really hurt the character. Mm. I think that one thing that makes Hoshi work for me, and one one thing that I love about Enterprise, the fact that they really don't have the universal translator yet. You know, Hoshi is developing the UT as they go, and she pretty much has to rely on old school ears to, to hear mm. the language, her brain to process it, and, and to use her knowledge of 38 to 40 languages that she speaks to figure out, you know, how to talk to these aliens. And of course it's unrealistic that she can mm. speak to them as quickly as she does, but there has to be some creative license because yep. you only have 42 minutes to tell the story. What I love about it though, is the fact that she's actually using language skills as a human being mm. to decipher alien languages and communicate with them. And if she had had surgery on her voice box or these other uh, things that that gave her more of um, almost like a superpower mm. to communicate. I think it would like have really Wolverine. diminished, like a Wolverine. It would have diminished the impact of the character. I think so. Yeah. I'm glad that they went with just she's just a person who has great language skills. It, it she has it a very talented. Left her tongue. with a vulnerability uh, that, that really made that character and gave her room to grow. Yeah. Although I'm thinking if she had had that surgery, she may have been able to speak Porthos, and that would have been really interesting. <laughs> that she could have been. found out what his favorite cheese variety was. I, I was just thinking, yes, I, I can just see her everyday little session with her uh, sitting down. I, I, you know, she. This is another thing too. Linda Park talked about. Oh God! And this makes me realize how long Star Trek has been around. <laughs> Linda was talking about how she enjoyed TNG so much growing up, and she got this role, and she loved the fact that being on Enterprise allowed her to reconnect with that time in her life when Star Trek was so important to her when she was thirteen. And wishing she had a real holodeck for her own adventures. <laughs> I'm thinking, like, wow, it's because you think about how how young the actors are, for the most part, on Enterprise. But she talks about loving TNG and Data and Picard and all the characters and Marina Sirtis and Troy. And so I'm picturing Hoshi as also being a counselor on the Enterprise, being like Troy, sitting down with Porthos, you know, talk about <laughs> how he, he feels neglected when Archer's on duty. He doesn't always get the cheese that he likes. and mm, He's know. just not getting enough affection. Right. And his coat's not being groomed in the way he likes. Exactly. You know, Archer's, he's combing against the grain and it's, it's really irritating. And, and Archer just and that, keeps trying to give him his part of steel and it's just not the look that Porthos is going for. Oh man, I got to Photoshop that. That would be awesome. And, <laughs> and when, and when he's trying to sleep and Archer keeps slamming that water polo ball against the wall. <laughs> yeah. Man. When all Porthos really wants is for him to throw the ball to him. <laughs> He wouldn't have to run far to fetch it, though, in those tight quarters on the NX-01. No. All right. Well, maybe instead of creating a new character for Hoshi, we should get back to the actual character <laughs> herself. <laughs> and why don't we talk about a few of our favorite Hoshi moments in the series, though? What What are some moments, whether they're featured moments or whether they're just those little one-off moments that you really enjoy? 
yeah, I think um, it, it was a subplot in this particular episode, but I really liked the um, the way that Hoshi was featured in Silent Enemy, where she's having to investigate Reed's favorite food for his birthday. <laughs> and uh, after a lot of frustration at doing this menial task, you know, she eventually starts to take it seriously and take ownership of it and starts to enjoy the challenge and, of course, eventually finds out that he has an allergy to pineapple and is taking a medication so that he can continue to eat it and arranges for a pineapple cake for his wait, birthday. Wait. So, so he's taking a special medication <laughs> just so he can continue to eat pineapple. That, that he's, he's, he's hardcore Boy, on pineapple. People got real problems in the 22nd century. <laughs> but the joy <laughs> on his face when he realizes that she's worked out that his favorite food is pineapple. And it's such a satisfying moment. And you know, given that we start <laughs> off, she's just thinking, why on earth am I being given this ridiculous task? Um, uh, you know, and it, it, it's, it's a satisfying ending to that plot. So that that's something that I really enjoy. It's one of those um, Hoshi, well, it's not a moment, but one of those Hoshi portrayals that isn't, it's not a Hoshi episode as such. Right. But, it's just a uh, moment. but we do get an insight into her character. We see some of her growth again, some of her maturity emerging through that episode. Yeah. I think for me, one that I really love is also not from a Hoshi episode. It's from Dear Doctor and... It's when she's sitting down with Flux in the mess hall and they're doing their Denobulan lessons. And she says, I noticed you and crewman Cutler have been spending a lot of time together lately. And then she's, <laughs> you know, but they're having this whole conversation in Denobulan. And then she asks them, are you guys mating? <laughs> she says, no, I think the word that you're looking for is dating. <laughs> is that the same conversation where she refers to him as a washboard yes that's the one yeah <laughs> yeah those little moments with flocks are, are, are really fun and there's a few of them where they, they're talking into nobulin and then of course Fiesel comes on board and comments on her right that's another really good one as well yeah and when they're sitting there and 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 they're in it, on it together to try to embarrass trip <laughs> yeah. which doesn't take much <laughs> that's really excellent so you know this one of the, the fun moments and and again i just like the moments when she comes in to, to feed the animals just because it does highlight those that yeah. interaction with flocks uh and, and sort of the humanity to it as well you know i don't know if you have any sort of pets uh, around but we now i i've of course had dogs uh, growing up over the mm. years and we and we've had hamsters here in the house with the kids and I ended up being the one to take care of the hamsters and yeah and now we've got like a little I don't know what it is it's like a little minnow basically that, that lives in our in our foyer in a little dish but just for me it's just you know like going and and feeding this little fish mm. it's it's just you know it's one of the it's part of my daily routine and it's part of just being a an everyday person and the fact that that Hoshi can do that kind of stuff on a starship with everything else going around is it's kind of a nice, it's the humanity of the show. And, and of course, her affection for flocks and regeneration as well mm -hmm. um, when he's becoming Borg. The one thing we see with Hoshi is she does seem to have a connection with other species as well. And, um, you know, we see 
in Fight or Flight with Sluggo. She really relates to Sluggo's struggle. And even in Vox Sola, there's an element of compassion for the, the organism that's taking over the ship when they finally release it back onto the planet. She has a real affinity with that, a uh, real connection, which once again feels very consistent with her character, um, perhaps not relating so well to other humans, but being able to relate on a, a very compassionate level with, with simpler species. Yeah, that, that, that episode, that's actually, it's an episode that I overlooked the first time through the series. I mean, I watched it, but I kind of just went on, but it's mm-hmm. one that I've, I've watched several times recently and I, I quite enjoy the compassion mm-hmm. thing that you talk about. It's interesting because on the ready room this, uh, coming week where we recorded for the man trap. And one thing we talked about there is how Kirk has really no compassion, makes no attempt to communicate with the salt vampire in that episode mm. whereas here you've got this this creature the or part of a creature is you know it's it's part of a of a larger organism who's literally killing the crew members including the captain but they make such a strong effort to communicate with it and find mm. out what i mean they do try to kill it at first I mean, well, we have to admit yeah. that but they but ultimately hoshi especially feels that she can communicate with it and they make that really strong effort to communicate with it mm. and and in a sense that particular organism has its own sense of desperation to get back mm-hmm. to where it belongs mm-hmm. and it's it's community in a sense which i think is something that hoshi would be able to relate to yeah there's another episode that i really enjoy and i i love all aspects of it um the hoshi uh element is is equally as amusing and that's singularity and hoshi's obsession with making her family soup recipe being <laughs> too salty well uh, what is she and making we do see her, her fire up a bit in the kitchen there too well she's making miso soup is that right i think so yeah um, I think that's what it is. It's just Japanese soup anyway. I mean, miso is yeah. very salty to start with. So <laughs> what do you expect? It's going to be salty. <laughs> but there's just that pinch too much salt, you see. Oh, yeah. Just a pinch. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I mean, I guess the obsession part is interesting to me. The um, one thing that does bug me about Hoshi is that, and, and it's nothing to do with Linda Park, really or anything like that because for, first of all she's not even japanese it's it's the writing which is typical in all of hollywood where um there seems to be a complete misunderstanding in hollywood about the difference between korea japan and china mm. uh, we're, we're like we're like some land that's called the orient or something and we're just kind <laughs> of like s- some lump together uh culture and now linda park actually was born in korea and she moved to the mm. u.s when she was one so she's very much American, but her grandmother who moved with them and who uh, raised her a lot because her mother was working when they moved to America, uh, actually spent a lot of her formative years in Japan. So Linda Park actually did have, I think culturally, even though she's Korean American, uh, a bit of Japanese influence in her upbringing mm. because of her grandmother's experience. So now the name, when they first announced the cast and who the characters were going to be, and they announced that the communications officer is a Japanese woman named Hoshi Sato. 
I thought, well, that's that's a cool name because Hoshi means star in Japanese,、mm-hmm. and but it's not a name; it's not a Japanese name. No one ever names their child Hoshi. And to that end, instead of using the kanji for star for her name, when they subtitle Enterprise in Japanese, they actually write her name out in a script that we use called katakana, which is the script that we use for foreign words.、Mm. It's a it's a third script. That we use, and it's only used for foreign words and scientific terminology generally,、mm. and occasionally if you want to stress something.、Uh, so, the, and, and Sato means village as well. So it's kind of like Star Village or community. I think it's a good it's a good name for her yeah, as a, an officer on a starship. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. I'm surprised, Chris, that you didn't list as your top favorite Hoshi moment、uh, that point in Shockwave where she's climbing through, you know, the、uh, the corridors and then slips、oh. down and her shirt comes off. <laughs> no, I don't know. I mean, th- those moments, I feel like okay, that was completely unnecessary. Now, <laughs> now the shower scene and vanishing point, however, was 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 excellent. <laughs> I'll take your word for that one. <laughs> yeah. No. All right. Well, do you have any final thoughts on Hoshi?、Uh, I think I've I've said it all so far, but but、um, but I'll just reiterate that I、uh, I do think she's a brilliantly written character. We、uh, we could argue that we don't see enough of her, but there are plenty of great Hoshi moments. Spread throughout the series in those episodes that aren't dedicated Hoshi moments, and that for anyone doing a rewatch of the show, really to pay attention not just to the the B plots but the little moments of interaction in between, particularly with characters such as Reed and Hoshi, who I think、um, are very much on equal footing in this regard,、um, and you'll find I think if you If you focus on those quieter moments, you'll learn a lot more about the characters than that seems evident in a first watch. Definitely, yeah. And for me, as someone who studied language and linguistics in university,、uh, my degree is in Russian language, and, and so I, I had to study all of these very technical aspects of language. I really appreciated the fact that Enterprise took the role of communications officer seriously and did it in a realistic way. And I think Linda Park did a fantastic job of portraying Hoshi. It's a, it was really a difficult role because you think about how much alien gibberish Linda had to memorize、mm. to pull off this role, and she does it for the most part very believably. And I I just I I think that. I understand in the 24th century, in the 23rd century, that you're going to have the universal translator, and it'd be kind of hard to do a television show if people can't communicate with each other. But they never went far enough in actually giving you any sort of sense that there was any communication barrier at all、mm. between aliens, humans, and aliens, and different cultures, and. And you know, in reality, there's a communication barrier between us, even if we speak the same language. You know, you're、yeah. Australian. I'm American. We both speak English, but there are going to be those times where we're saying things to each other where we don't really understand a hundred percent of what we mean because 
there are the cultural aspects as well. So, so language is a very challenging thing. And, and I really applaud enterprise for actually making an effort to put some realism into that aspect of Star Trek for once. Well, I remember when I first started talking to Colin from Trek News and Views on Twitter, and I was tweeting about eating Vietnamese rolls and spilling hoisin sauce on my pants. And of course, pants are something very different in Australia to what they are in England. And I never thought that given that we speak <laughs> British English, that there would ever be a communications barrier on 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 a subject like that. I thought, yes. you know, with Americans, yes, there can be some difficulties. But uh, yeah, even, even people that speak the same language, um, same version of that language are going to have troubles. <laughs> Well, it's funny because for you and Americans, it's the same, but for, for Japanese mm. and England, it's, it's the same there, which is pants is the actual underwear itself, right? Not just the, like a previous discussion we had about thongs. Yes. Like thongs. Yeah. So, so here it's funny when Japanese children are learning English and they get the word pants, <laughs> they always crack up laughing because they're thinking, because we, we have the word in Japanese, pansu. Pansu is, is the underwear and zubon is mm. the actual pants that you wear on the outside <laughs> to cover your legs. So that's kind of funny. All right. Well, Kate, it's been great talking about Hoshi. I'm glad we're able to continue our character analyses and we're going to do that periodically on the show until we get through all the characters. But it's not the only thing we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. So here are some other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, The Orb. Yeah. I think Cisco and Ducat, you know, in the best tradition of any kind of good writing, you know, the villain is a mirror, flipped mirror image of the hero. And, that, you know, that's for Kirk and Khan and, and a whole bunch of great Star Trek. So, you know, you get Cisco and Ducat and they have a lot in common with each other. Earl Grey. Because he's larger than life for 90% of the show. He is the captain. Okay, like I'm going to ruffle some feathers right now. I'm just letting you guys know this is going to be controversial. But he is the captain that Cisco and Janeway wished they were. The Ready Room. The Voyager Conspiracy. Now, Daniel and I were talking about this in a, in a, in a prior podcast about the, uh, the 80s moment. And so I, I can see Seven coming up. In this episode, I tried to download too much information in your heads. <laughs> Try not to study too much in school. <laughs> Try to diverse yourselves. Play with your friends. Go see your family. Information too can be a drug. <laughs> <laughs> Just say no, kids. <laughs> to the journey! Voyager's funniest moments. They're seeing Sandrine's for the first time, and you see that pool shark guy who is such a chauvinist pig jerk who says something to the effect to Bolanov, something like, Treat a lady like a tramp, and a tramp like a lady. It works every time. And she says, Paris, did you program this guy? And he's like, yeah, why? She said, he's a pig, and so are you. Commentary, Trek stars. Carnival. But they are also dealing with essentially general supernatural metaphysical concepts that are not limited to Christianity. So implying that there's a heaven and a hell in this, I think, is limiting, because the show very clearly states... That they are not playing by any simple rule book. Warp 5. Archer and Prime Directed. In and of itself, that doesn't make it the correct one. I mean, you could argue whether there is even such a thing as an absolute moral position. That is, is a moral position in itself to say that we have moral absolutism versus moral relativism. And the Federation adopts a moral relativist position. Trek News and Views. Andorians. 
I don't think Shatner would have turned around and said, make sure one of them's an Andorian. <laughs> <laughs> no, his special effects would have been, they all have to look like me. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Literary Treks. Ongoing 25, the Gittimer conflict begins. And then you get to this starbase where Kirk and his crew are about to embark on their five-year mission. They're they're eventually going to go on this mission. Yeah. Eventually. It'll happen. (laughs) One of these days, Um, they're going to (laughs) go. It does kind of make me wonder if they... If they're stalling because they They're stalling, yes. (laughs) Yeah, they're stalling because of the film. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and get your daily Trek Talk fix. We have new Trek Talk for you every day of the week, and some days we even have two shows, and you'll find them in many places, including iTunes, on Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zoom. You can download or stream from the website, and you can go to trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get links to all the various listening options. Now, Kate, before we get into how to contact us, we did have some feedback from uh, last week's show, and we got an email from our friend Gary Lobb there in Australia, and he had a couple of things to say about our discussion last week about Archer and the Prime Directive. What did he have to say? Yeah, well, he did, actually. Um, he, he said he really enjoyed the show, and in particular, he agreed with um, our or particularly my assessment that the um, the prime directive is in many ways um, a lazy ethical approach, you know, in that uh, it just assumes the worst for the future and, and henceforth we just shouldn't intervene. Um, and Gary actually has a medical background, so um, it, it was interesting to hear his perspective on that, particularly given that we've spoken quite a bit about uh, Dear Doctor and the medical ethics there. Right. So I really appreciate that feedback from um, Gary. He did uh, finish up by saying as well that we really need some moral and ethical guidance in the 21st century, and I couldn't agree more. So thank you, Gary. Yeah, I, I think we all agree on that. So yeah, thank you so much for the feedback, Gary. appreciate that. And for everyone else, if you'd like to send us some feedback, you can do that in a variety of ways. You can go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. And if you choose Warp 5, the email will come to Kate and me both. You can also go to our forums at trek.fm slash forums and uh, chat with us and other listeners about the shows and Enterprise. And also, if you want to send us a voicemail, there's a tab over on the right side of the website, any page on the website. And if you click that, you can use your webcam's microphone to record a message and upload it to us as an MP3 file. And in social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. And you'll find us on Twitter under username trek.fm. And also... If you like the show and you'd like to drop by iTunes and leave us a review, that would be wonderful. It does help other fans find the show as they search iTunes. And uh, we, we have a great audience so far, but you know there are tons of Star Trek fans and Enterprise fans out there who have not yet heard of Warp 5. So help them find it as well by dropping by and leaving us a star rating and a written review. It only takes about a minute, and uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the show that way as well. So, Chris, you've mentioned the website, the fact that people can contact us via email or voicemail or even by the forums where they can discuss the show or other aspects of enterprise. That, by the way, is a really good way to get in contact with me and to engage in discussion about the show. But where can we find you, Chris? Well, uh, you can find me in a few places, uh, primarily on Twitter, where my username is C. Brian Jones. That's letter C and Brian with a Y. 
And I'm, that's my username pretty much everywhere in social media. So you can look around, find me different places. I'm more active in some places than others. And a Twitter is my primary hangout there. But uh, I also have my own personal website, which is cbrianjones.com. Very easy to find. And then on the network, you can find me on a few other shows. On Sundays, you'll find me with Matthew Rushing on Literary Treks, where we talk about Star Trek books and comics, and we interview authors. We just had a great interview this morning, actually, with David R. George III about the start of the fall series. And then on Wednesdays, we do two shows. The First of all, with Matthew, I do The Orb, where we talk about Deep Space Nine. And then I also do The Ready Room with hosts from all across the network, where we all get together. It's kind of like our central core for the network these days. And we talk about all five live-action Star Trek series. And we just did our Enterprise show, actually, Kate. You were there with me and Matthew together. We talked about Home, and that episode's out right now. So everyone go check that out if you you want to hear us discuss Archer, Hernandez, Home, uh, the, you know, the Statue the People of the Galaxy. The Statue People of the Galaxy, Triple to Paul and Vulcan and all that stuff. So you can find that over there as well. Now, those shows used to be, The Orb used to be on Monday and Ready Room on Tuesday. We're doing a little shuffling of our schedule. So now you'll find those on Wednesdays. And Kate, there's one more thing we need to do before we let everyone go, and that's to ask you to please support our sponsor for this week's show, and that sponsor is Squarespace. They are really the best web hosting and CMS you're going to find anywhere on the web, and I really mean that. I've been using them for six years. Trek FM is built on Squarespace. They just have a fantastic platform as well as the best support you're going to find anywhere. And you can use Squarespace to create pretty much anything you can imagine, a blog, a website, a portfolio, both for art and music, an online store. They have a great commerce feature that makes it very easy for you to process credit cards and handle your taxes and shipping it all to sell physical or digital goods. And the best of all, you can try it free for 14 days. There's no credit card required. You can find out how all the tools give you the power that you need to create an exceptional website. As a Trek FM listener, you can use our offer code TREK10 to save 10% off your lifetime purchase on new accounts. And if you choose the annual plan, you'll even get a free custom domain registration. You can get EmpressKateWalsh.com. Sorry, Kate, that's (laughs) going to be taken now that I mentioned that, but you can get your own free <laughs> custom domain, hook that up to your website, you're good to go. The packages start at just $8 a month. It's amazing, very, very economical. So please go try it out. You're, you're going to love it. It really helps us bring Warp 5 to you every week. And again, don't forget to use offer code TREK10. And we really thank Squarespace for their support in the network. We'd also like to invite you to check out Andrew Allen's album, Smooth Federation. If you'd like the jazz cover of Where My Heart Will Take Me here on Warp 5, which we play at the start of the show, maybe you'd like it better than the version used on the show itself. A little controversial, I won't go into that right now. You'll find that (laughs) plus nine other jazz renditions of music from across Star Trek. So go pick up the album in iTunes or on Amazon. Uh, We really love that album, don't we, Chris? We really do. And, uh, yeah, it's quite beautiful music, so... If you get the chance, hop onto iTunes or Amazon and pick that album up now. And lastly, one last thing, another way that you can help us bring the show to you if you'd like and get some aliens in return is to go over to trek.fm slash donate, where we have eight original alien illustrations by Toba Ushi, who does most of the artwork that you see on our website. And these are available as badges or art prints, and you can mix and match, choose which ones you want. We have different levels of contributions that you can make, so uh, choose what's right for you. Tell us which aliens you'd like to have hanging out with you in your house or 
dangling off your clothing or your bag, and we'll get those right over to you. We'll possibly even transport them for you because, you know, Trip already made sure that the transporter is working. So I think it's safe to send them through. So I'll go check those out again. Trek.fm slash donate. And your donations help us pay for the cost of production, storage, and bandwidth that's needed to bring Warp 5 and all of our other shows to you every week. So we really appreciate your support there. So we'd like to thank everyone for listening. Join us again next week here in the Decon Chamber for another episode of Warp 5. <laughs>